There was once a very rich man that was driving along in his limousine. And uh, he was driving along when he noticed something very peculiar, and it's something that really bothered him. He saw what looked like to be a homeless man on the side of the road eating grass. And of course, this bothered the rich man, so he asked the limo driver to stop. He rolled down his window and said, what are you doing? And the man said, well, I'm homeless, and I have nothing to eat, so I have to eat grass. And the rich man said, oh, that's terrible, that's terrible. Hey, I'll bring you to my house, and I'll feed you. And the man said, you will? He said, yeah. He said, well, I have a family. And he pointed over under a tree, and there were four or five kids and and his wife. And he said, that's okay. You can all pile in. So they all piled in this man's limousine, and they started driving. And this rich man said, listen, I'm going to take care of you. And the homeless family, they were so happy. And he said, sir, I can't thank you for your kindness. It is so wonderful, the thing that you're going to do for us and our family. The rich man says, oh, think nothing of it. He said, you're going to absolutely love it. My grass is about a foot high at my house. (laughs) There's always that twist in the story that you weren't expecting, right? And although we chuckle about it because you weren't expecting that, there's some sadness and there's some truth to this. I don't know if you've ever been to a place uh, where there was a twist in the story that you weren't expecting. One time, Karen and I, our only vacation we've ever been to Hawaii, uh, we get there in Honolulu, and you're thinking there's going to be just absolutely paradise, and there's going to be absolutely nothing wrong happening in, in Hawaii, right? Wrong. There were homeless camps all over the place. The beaches were littered with tents, and we were astounded. We couldn't believe it. Even in paradise, we find problems. We also were in San Francisco filming, I think a year and a half ago or so, and you're thinking, this is Silicon Valley, this is a a lot of tech companies and a lot of wealth, I mean, it's an incredible place, and there they were, there as well, homeless, right on the streets. You know, there's a day when all of society's problems, whatever they happen to be, violence, homelessness, poverty, All of these things will be gone. There's going to be a day in the future when all things will be good and right. And the Bible actually talks about that. We were in chapter 20 of Revelation, and we turn the chapter when we find an unexpected twist in the story. Before we get into Revelation 21, I'd like to show you our prophecy chart that gives you a breakdown of where we're at so far in our study. I mean, obviously, we're in the last two chapters. So we're near the end of the end, right? We're in the last two chapters of the entire Bible. So this is getting really exciting. But in the beginning of our study, we talked about this age, the church age, and then all of a sudden, we don't hear any more reference about the church anymore until way over here, later on. So where did the church go? Well, we call it the rapture. There's many scriptures that talk about Christ coming in the air and gathering the saints in the church age uh, bodily into heaven. And those that have died in faith during the church age, their body will rise and forever will be with the Lord. A great, great thought. And then we find there's this seven-year period called the tribulation that will be marked by a seven-year peace treaty. You say, wait a second. I think I heard of something about peace in the Middle East this week. Yeah, you did. You did. Uh, They actually signed the agreement between two Arab nations that didn't have formal peace or a formal uh, agreement with Israel, but now they do. 
They've only had two Arab nations up to this point that have ever done that in all these years. And now all of a sudden there's two more. Is this it? Is that the seven-year peace treaty between this man we call the Antichrist and Israel? I will say this to you. No, it is not. It is not. But I believe that we're starting to see progress toward what everyone thought was impossible. Now, is this peace real? Is the peace that was signed this week real? Is it lasting? Is it forever? Absolutely not. I think no peace treaty has ever been, uh, it's always been broken eventually, right? But this Antichrist peace treaty, this false peace of the tribulation that starts the tribulation, uh, it will unravel quickly. He'll come in peace. He will not be a man of peace. He will hold on to power like everyone else has held on to power in this world by shedding blood. And a lot of blood will shed. And then we have the second um, half of the tribulation called the Great Tribulation, where you have these different judgments, the uh, seal judgment, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments. And that's really what we're seeing in Revelation, the series of judgments coming upon the earth. And then we have the return of Jesus Christ to earth, the battle of Armageddon. The armies of the world assemble to fight against God in Israel, and he opens his mouth, and they are obliterated. Then we have a thousand years of Satan being bound, called the kingdom, the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, where peace and righteousness is on this planet, the lamb and the lion lay down together. And then we have this horrible uh, thing called the, the great white throne judgment, and those that have not received Jesus Christ as Savior, either before or after the cross, will be bodily raised, judged at the great white throne, and cast into an eternal lake of fire. And that was a horrible chapter. And even in these last two chapters, we're still going to see mentions of that eternal lake of fire. That is one reason you should get saved. <laughs> That's a very good reason you should get saved. And many people have been saved from their sins and from hell because they feared hell. And that's a great reason to be saved, but that's not all there is. There's so much more. The greatest reason to be saved is because you will be with God forever, not separated from God forever. So we come to this chapter 21 and verse 1, where we see here the new heavens and the new earth. And it goes on from here through eternity, and that's a hard concept to understand. Eternity, right? Uh, we can understand uh, a year or two, a hundred years maybe, a thousand years possibly, maybe 10,000 years. But once we get past that, it's hard for us to grasp that. That's a long, long time. And that's when your brain starts to hurt. Have you ever thought about some of these things and your brain literally begins to hurt? Well, let's go over Revelation 21, verse 1. And, and by the way, your brain doesn't need to hurt if you know Christ as Savior. Revelation 21, I saw, this is John, the one that was receiving the revelation. He was having these uh, revelations on a little island called Patmos. I've been there. It's in uh, one of the Greek islands. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Now, what does this mean? That means at the end of the millennial reign of Christ on the earth, there's a final rebellion. We talked about that last time. Gog and Magog, a, a second wave of antagonists coming against God and Israel. Uh, they will be obliterated, and then there will be a, a, a new heaven and a new earth made. What is this heaven? Is that heaven as in where God lives? The Bible talks about three heavens. 
The first heaven is really simple. It's the air. It's where the birds fly. It's the atmosphere, okay? That's the first heaven, the sky. The second heaven is where the stars are, the planets are. That's the, the stellar heaven. And then the third heaven in the Bible is the place where God lives. Where is the third heaven? We don't know. We don't know. Certainly, it's probably a place we can't see because we don't have that uh, dimensional ability. But we uh, will one day be able to not only see it, but live in it, be part of it. But the Bible here describes that this earth, we know that that's this planet, this orb that's 8,000 miles in diameter, a very thin crust, by the way. You know you live on a nuclear bomb? This planet is a nuclear bomb. Every now and then a little bit of the molten uh, stuff from the center of the earth pops up and causes major problems and calamities on the earth called volcanoes. This thin crust and this massive earth full of, of molten lava. We live on a time bomb. Does that make you feel good? Will that help you sleep at night? But we see that this first earth is going to pass away. I believe it's, it's what we've started at uh, creation when God made everything right in six literal days, seventh day he rested, everything was right, and then shortly thereafter we rebelled, we sinned, we messed it up, and we started to unravel not just this planet but the whole universe. There is a day, and scientists will tell you that this will all, I mean, they say it'll all just stop, but I believe it won't just stop, it will disintegrate, just like all the atoms coming apart. We're going to read predictions of this in the Bible. You say, how do we know that when the Bible predicts these things, how do we know it's actually going to happen? How do you, I mean, this stuff is so fanciful. It's so strange. Why do you think this is actually going to happen? I'm glad you asked. Why do I think it's going to happen? Because I've seen many prophecies in Scripture that are astounding. Prophecies of uh, empires rising and falling. Prophecies that are particular and uh, exact about Jesus, the Messiah coming. Uh, many, dozens of prophecies way before he was born, hundreds of years before he was born, that said where he would be born, what lineage he would be born from, the, the things he would do in life, that he would die on a tree, that he would be pierced, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. All of this is in the, the scriptures. And you know what? It was all fulfilled exactly as predicted. The world, you'll see this on Discovery Channel and History Channel, will talk about Nostradamus or the Mayans. They might have gotten one out of a thousand things right. And they thought, oh, you gotta, you gotta read their prophecies. And, and their one thing was very vague and it wasn't exact. And, but we're all astounded by how great that prophecy was. But the Bible's ignored when there are hundreds of prophecies fulfilled exactly as predicted. Hundreds of years ahead of time. Thousands of years ahead of time. That's how I know that the future prophecies in the Bible are going to happen. Because God knows the future, God can predict it, and when he predicts it, he's right 100% of the time. There is going to be this day when the first earth and the first heaven will pass away. Uh, and, and you say, was that the, 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 of course it's the first heaven, the, um, the atmosphere, but also I think it's the, probably the stellar heaven too. Everything, everything created on those six days will be destroyed and remade. Look back here at these words passed away in Revelation 21.1. And many people say, does that mean that it's going to be totally annihilated and God will just totally start over? I actually don't think so. Now, the world deserves to be obliterated uh, and nothing left. But there was, there's a promise, and this is why I think, I think that God is going to take the actual elements 
of the original creation, destroy them with fire, and recreate from those same elements back to the way it was. That's, that's what I think. And again, you're, <laughs> there's a lot of things exact in the Bible. Some of the things that I'm going to tell you today is from my best study and reading a lot of other people that have studied the Bible, this is my best interpretation. We know these things will come to pass. We just don't know all the exact details of it, okay? So look at Genesis 13, 15. God promises Abraham the land which thou seest. What was the land? Well, remember this in Genesis 13, if you know your Bible, uh, that Abraham and Lot had just separated Lot had looked into the well-watered plains, uh, and that's where Sodom and Gomorrah stand. By the way, if you see that land today, it's not well-watered. It's barren. It's a desert. It's almost like God obliterated that whole area. Well, I guess he did. And the Bible predicts that area would be blossoming in the millennium. Okay, So God says to Abraham, look all the way around. As far as you see, uh, he actually says that the, all the different directions will be yours. Okay? And, and look what it says. Forever. Okay? So that means that this land that God promised Abraham will be the redeemed Jewish nation's land forever. So that, I think that means God has to take the molecules from this destruction and remake them into that land again. So again, this is, I guess, trivial, but it's just something that I've thought about. And then verse 18 it says uh, a few verses down that the Lord made this covenant with Abram. Uh, his name was later changed to Abraham, but this was an unconditional promise of God. It wasn't, hey, Abraham, if you do all these things and obey me and keep my commandments, then I will. No, it was God promising Abraham something unconditionally. What was the promise? Unto thy seed I've given this land, and here it is again, from the river of Egypt, of course, that's the Nile, to the great river Euphrates. Israel has never occupied all this land. Here's the picture of Israel, and all they've ever occupied is basically the area that they occupy today. And there's, there's even parts of this area today, Gaza and what's called the West Bank, Judea, Samaria, that they're still arguing over whether they own that or not. It's a very narrow piece of land. It's the size of, not even a third the size of our state is the whole nation of Israel. And they have enemies on all sides. How have they survived? It's really incredible. But the Bible promises Abraham from the Nile to the Euphrates all of that land. I mean, we're talking about Egypt and Sudan, and we're talking about Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Turkey, all of Israel, it's an incredible piece of land. We'll talk about that more next time because today we're going to see a, what's called a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And next time we're going to see the dimensions of this new Jerusalem. It may be the size of this whole territory or more. This is about 800 miles between these two rivers. And it would also include Iraq, of course. So this is a massive city, and, and it could be that big, it could be a little smaller, but either way, it's going to be by far the biggest, most grand city the world has ever known, by far, this new Jerusalem that's coming down. Now, in 1932, an expositor by the name of G. Campbell Morgan wrote this. 
He said, I am now quite convinced that the teaching of Scripture as a whole is that there is no future for Israel as an earthly people at all. Boy, did he get that wrong. Because then came World War II and the Holocaust and world sympathy and, and now the Allies had this land called Palestine and there was a lot of people that wanted to give that land back and they made a declaration called the Balfour Declaration when England said it really belongs to the Jewish people and then the Holocaust happened and finally world sympathy said, okay, let's give them a land. That's never happened. This is what the Bible had talked about, regathering the Jews from the four corners of the earth for this final time. And guess what? They are there today. It's incredible. If you don't believe the Bible, you're not looking at it. Okay? You've got to study these things. You've got to see what, what the Bible says. And God gave an unconditional promise to Israel to forever possess this land. And they will. Now, let's talk more about this, this world dissolving, this world uh, being destroyed. The place that we're going to talk, it, it doesn't give us much detail in Revelation. It just says there's a new heaven and a new earth. In the last chapter, we said that the heaven and earth fled away from God at the great white throne, right? But here's some detail of it. Second Peter chapter 3, we're going to be spending some time in this today. It says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord, anytime you see this in Scripture, this is a clue that what we're going to talk about is prophetic. Okay? Whenever you read the day of the Lord, this is talking about the end times, always. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. This is incredible. Remember, this was written thousands of years ago before they understood the atoms, the elements, right? And here the Bible is talking about this old earth, this old heaven being melted. And we know today that if you split an atom and you have the right combination, horrible things can happen. And the, the bombs that were dropped in Japan, which I feel were probably necessary, there's a lot of debate on that, but it certainly saved millions of Americans' lives probably, or at least thousands. Horrible that it happened, but that's a teeny little bomb compared to what we have today by the thousands around the world. And some countries that hate America are developing these weapons. If we think we live in a safe world, we do not. We do not. So it's almost like this, this nuclear meltdown. It's not caused by a bomb because we know that God has destroyed all the enemies of God. But just this, this planet has been soaked by blood. Think about all the blood the planet has soaked up. You know, we have allowed in our world a billion babies to be murdered. A billion babies since 2000 in the world have died from abortion. It's been estimated, probably accurate. Millions of the most innocent have died from abortion. And if you've had abortion, I'm not here to guilt you. I'm, I'm here to say God is a great God of forgiveness and love and he can forgive you and, and, and he wants to forgive you. And, and many of you have been forgiven from that and other things that we've all done. But we need to stop this. We need to stop this. This earth is going to be destroyed because the earth has blood in its soil. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. 
Seeing then that these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in holy conversation? That's the way of life, the way that we live, and godliness. In light of knowing that this earth is going to be destroyed, why are we spending so much time to get things that will be destroyed? To live in a certain house that will be destroyed. To drive a certain car that will be destroyed. To have a certain job that would be destroyed. Now, I'm not saying we stop living. I'm just saying we have to live in light of what we know the Bible has to say about the future. That this world will be destroyed. It says it very clearly. Looking for and hastening unto the coming day of the Lord, day of God. Wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for, here it is, A new heavens and a new earth. This is eternity future. A new heavens and a new earth. I think it is a complete overhaul and remake, a reset back to the way it should have been. The way it was. Before we mess it up by sin. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Oh, I love that word. Righteousness. We all long for a day in which righteousness dwells. This earth is polluted, though, and a lot of people think the pollution is greenhouse gases. And I'm not minimizing pollution. I'm just saying that's not our problem. Pollution of CO2 is not what God is angry about. It's pollution of blood. It's pollution of lying. It's pollution of cheating. It's pollution of uh, changing what God has made and and saying that uh, it's okay if a man wants to be a woman. It's okay for a man to love a man sexually. It's okay for us to allow these innocent babies to die. It's not okay. It's not okay. It is so bad that the earth is going to be destroyed eventually because of all this sin. And in Genesis 3.17, God says unto Adam, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree in which I commanded thee, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. You say, oh, that wasn't a big deal. Why was God so upset about this one thing? Because death entered into the equation, and death is a horrible, horrible thing. We're going to talk today about death being gone, and I can't wait for that day. But the, the ground is cursed in Isaiah 24, 5. The earth also is defiled. Defiled. We have transgressed the laws. We have changed the ordinance. We've broken the everlasting covenant. And, 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 and that cannot continue because all that's doing is perpetuating evil and sadness and death. And Job 15, 15 actually says that the heavens are not clean. I believe that's the, the universe, the stellar universe. You say, how could our sin affect the stellar universe? Because everything's connected. When God created us, he, he talks about a fabric of space, and I think everything is connected in this whole universe. And when one starts to dissolve, because it needs to be dissolved, everything will dissolve. Let's go back to Second Peter. And we were reading 10 through 13. Let's go back a few verses earlier. And we're going to see a parallel between when God destroyed the earth the first time, which was when? The time of Noah, and we call it Noah's flood. It says in 2 Peter 3, 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Now, God didn't totally annihilate the world. God destroyed the world and everything in it, and 
we started over, right? So I think in that way, the parallel is that in the second destruction, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word kept in store, reserved unto fire. Okay, so the second judgment, the second destruction of this earth, it will also destroy the earth, but I don't believe it will be annihilated. I don't think God will start totally over. I think God will cleanse the earth with fire and start anew. And I think everything will be reset. Everything will be back to the way it was supposed to be. And that way will be locked in forever and ever and ever, as we're going to see in a minute. This is exciting stuff. Second Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Man, this is an awesome word. That means that you're not beyond hope. You may have done some terrible things. Some people are addicted. Uh, I was reading Mike Lindell's book, and uh, he went 30 years addicted to cocaine and uh, crack, gambling, just horrible, just horrible. I thank God every day for for those addictions that I didn't have to be under, but we all have separate habits and addictions. If we think that we somehow arrived, we're fooling ourselves. Because no one has arrived. We're all sinners. We all need God's forgiveness. And aren't you glad that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish? Isn't that glorious? That means that everyone has hope. No one is beyond hope. And, and you can find that purpose, that fulfillment of why God brought you into this world. If you'll just receive him by faith. Understand that you're a sinner and say, I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. It says that God is not willing that any should perish. This is an eternal lake of fire, but that all should come to repentance, a change of mind, metanoia, that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I put my trust in Jesus Christ. Then you are saved and you don't have to worry about this destruction of the earth, eternal lake of fire. It's a glorious feeling to know you're forgiven and now you can serve him out of gladness because he is long-suffering. Then let's continue in Revelation 21, the last part of the first verse. It says, there was no more sea. What in the world does that mean? Well, we know that the sea in our world, look at the, the earth, the sea separates us. Uh, we have the Mediterranean. Uh, we have the different oceans of the world. A lot of water separates a lot of land masses, right? And that sea separates us. And the Bible predicts there's no more sea. In this new heaven and the new earth, the new heaven and the new earth will not have the seas that will divide it. Now, does that mean there's no oceans? I actually think my best guess, again, I could be wrong, my best guess is that this area of the Mediterranean will be raised the water drained out, and that will be, this will all be one landmass here. So that'll connect Africa and Europe. It'll also connect um, the Middle East and Asia. All this that's now separated by these bodies of water. I think there may be lakes, there may be small bodies of water, but there won't be any oceans dividing continents. Many people believe there was one continent. And if you trace the shape of North and South America, with the, the shape of Europe and Africa, it fits together. The Bible talks about during the flood, uh, not continental drift, but continental sprint, where the fountains of the great deep opened and it just like a baseball ripped the seams and, and the land masses moved. And we see evidence of that, right? With the mountains being thrust up with these 
uh, plates colliding and we see that the, the mountains are still rising, the plates are still moving today. I think all of this broken puzzle of this world will be put back into one landmass. I think there still may be ocean, but not an ocean that will separate us. Again, that's conjecture. It could be literally one landmass with no oceans. I don't know. But my guess is it would make sense to me that God would reset it back to the way it was, and I believe that there was one landmass in the original creation that was split. Again, you can argue with me, and I, I don't care, okay? Some things you argue with me, I do care about. That's not one of them. And I, John, Revelation 21, 2, you say, Pastor Scudder, if you don't get going, you're not going to finish. You're right. I mean, we try to go through these things quickly, but I can't. Okay, now this is where it gets awesome. Are you guys ready? And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. A, A holy city? New Jerusalem? What is this? This is heaven coming to earth. Heaven coming to earth. We're going to talk about this a lot more next time. We're going to give you so many details. Your head is going to swim what this holy city, heaven coming to earth, is going to be like this new Jerusalem. So when I say I'm looking forward to heaven, this is the place that we're talking about. Not the current place that God abides. We don't know where that is. Somewhere in the stellar universe, probably. But now that is coming to this earth, and it's going to be a massive golden city encrusted with jewels, 12 gates. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. But it says, as a bride adorned for her husband. What does that mean? Well, you, you all been to weddings, right? Everyone's all excited. It's a wedding, and, and out comes the groomsman, and out comes the groom, and everyone's like, oh, you know, he looks good. Looks good. But you know the groom didn't spend much time preparing himself or or anything. He doesn't care, right? He just wants to get married. You know, if if it was the man planning the the wedding, there would be, you know, not trillions of dollars spent on weddings every year. So he didn't spend months trying to pick out what he's going to wear. He didn't spend weeks trying to decide all the decorations of the wedding. He didn't spend any time that day doing his nails or his his hair or his makeup at all. Nothing. He comes out and everyone's like, oh yeah, okay, looks good. Then, then comes the bride. Oh, and she's so beautiful. And everybody's ooing and aahing at the bride, right? Not at him. Nobody cares about him. It's the bride, right? So that's what we're seeing here is we're going to be ooing and aahing. We're going to be incredibly impressed at the beauty of the city coming out of heaven to the earth. It's going to be amazing. Verse 3, Revelation 21. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle. Of God is with men. That word tabernacle actually means God dwelling with men. That's what the word means, and that's what the tabernacle was. When Israel was coming out of Egypt and early in the land of Israel, there was a temporary dwelling place of God on the earth. God is now coming to permanently live with us on the earth, and He's going to dwell with us, with men. And they shall be his people. Who's they? This is us. These are all the saints. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. I actually believe we'll be in this city coming down. It'll be like a great uh, elevator ride or something like that. I don't know. It's incredible, though, when you start to think about this. And some people say, well, it doesn't say it came down all the way to the earth, and so maybe it's like a satellite hovering over the earth. I actually think it's coming down to the earth, and I'll tell you why next time. You're going to have to come back. The Bible talks about two mountains. 
The mountain called Sinai, the the mountain that shook and, and was fire and smoke, the mountain that God gave us the moral law, what we call the Ten Commandments, those were broken immediately, right, when Moses came down and saw the paganism. They were already moving away from God, and he wasn't gone that long, and he was so disgusted. And then God created another set of tablets, and that's the Mount of Judgment, the Mount of the Law, the mountain of God's righteousness. But then the Bible speaks about another mountain, the mountain called Zion. The mountain called Zion is Jerusalem. And in Hebrews twelve twenty two, it says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God. Here it is, the heavenly Jerusalem. This is God coming to the earth and, and the city, I think, being exactly where Jerusalem is today. Why is it that Jerusalem and the Temple Mount is so important to God? Why is it? Why is it that it's the most fought after land in the entire world in all the centuries? Israel's had the most wars. Jerusalem has had the most contests. Why? Many people believe this, and I actually do. That's probably where the Garden of Eden was. You say, wait a second, wait a second. Wasn't the Euphrates coming out of the Garden of Eden and the Tigris? And and the Euphrates is way over here now and the Tigris is way over here now. Remember the flood. Totally changed the earth all the sedimentary layers that ha- that's happened over Israel. So a, a big river after the flood, they may have said, oh, let's call that Euphrates after this river that used to be over here. Things really moved and changed. I actually think Jerusalem is where the Garden of Eden. Why is God so peculiar about Mount Zion, about this place, where heaven is actually going to come down? It's called Zion. It's called the mountain of God. It's called the heavenly Jerusalem here in Hebrews 22. Remember Abraham? In his faith, he was looking for a heavenly city. That's where he knew he lived. And you know what? America isn't your savior. I love this country. I'm a patriot. I stand for the flag of the United States. I stand for the sacrifices of people that gave their lives for our freedoms. And I love the freedom of America. And I want to keep that freedom. But America isn't going to save you. You, if you're born again, if you've trusted Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, are a citizen of heaven. You're just passing through. This isn't your home. Your passport says New Jerusalem. And you get to come and go. It's not like you're going to be stuck in the city. I think we'll be able to come and go and explore the world, maybe explore the universe. It's going to be incredible. Reading the book by Mike Lindell, Against All Odds. After 30 years of crack addiction, he had a man come to him, an old friend that they used to do crack together, and he was so sick of it. He wanted to quit so many times, and finally he decides, this is the time I'm going to quit. And his buddy had been sober for four years. He was now going to church. He was living a clean life, and he asked his friend, he said, is it boring? And the friend knew immediately what he was saying. Is living for God boring? And his friend said, absolutely not. You have no idea what you're missing. What these drugs are are dragging you into and that you can't uh, break from these chains of addictions. But once God finally does that for you, you're going to experience real life. And I had to think of people that think heaven is going to be boring, you are missing this. Think about the most fulfilling, wonderful experiences of your life. It probably has to do with a success in a, a work that you love 
or a, a wonderful relationship that you have with your family, your wife, your kids, or maybe it's whatever it is, some experience that you've had. Just combine all of that and it never ends. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Incredible. But God is tabernacling among us, it says in Leviticus 26, 11. I will set my tabernacle among you, and here this new Jerusalem will come down, the dwelling place of God. Relationship beats opulence. Yeah, heaven is heaven because of golden streets and and, and encrusted walls and and gates made out of pearls. I mean, it's going to be incredibly incredibly opulent, but that's not why you're going to think of it, think it's heaven. You're going to think of heaven is because the presence of God is there and you are in the presence of God. Friends, if we could just get this vision, if we could be like Abraham and look for that city made without hands coming down from heaven, God dwelling there, that's heaven. You will not be bored. Whatever the opposite of bored is, that's what you'll be. Revelation 21, 4. And this is the best part. I'm I'm saving the best part for last. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Think about that. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Oh, yes. Neither sorrow. Amen. Nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. If you're happy about this, say amen. There's coming a day when you won't have tears, death, sorrow, crying, or pain. The former things have passed away. I mean, this is heaven. This is incredible. Think about that, death. We've had a tough year this year. I've had death get as close to me as it ever has when my dad died. Unexpected. During COVID. Couldn't see him at first. They wouldn't let me in his room. But I made a clergy visit. And they couldn't stop me. Well, they, they still got very angry at me. I said, listen, he's a member of my church. I'm going to see a member of my church. But I was able to spend a little time with him. And the last thing he said to me was, I love you. And, and these are hard things because we hate death. Hate it. And there's going to be a day when that death is obliterated. It's gone. It won't ever come back. And tears and sorrow and crying and pain will go with it. I have something to say to you undertakers. You're going to be jobless. <laughs> Hearse drivers, sorry. Funeral homes, out of business. Casket makers, we don't need you anymore. We don't want you anymore. Cemeteries, so long. Obituary columns will not be in the newspaper, friends. Can we understand the impact of this? Death started because of sin. We deserve death. The second death is the worst form of death. That's eternal separation from God. We learned that last week in a place called hell, eternal fire. But that's not what God wants. God is not willing that any should perish. God wants you in this new heaven, in this new earth, in this new Jerusalem. He dearly wants to be restored back in fellowship to the one he created for a reason and for a purpose Think about all these things. No more crying. Look at Jeremiah 9. You ever feel this way? Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears. You ever feel that way? It just is so sad. We were watching in preparation for a filming trip we're making this week that has to do with abortion. We were watching a brand new film that you all need to watch. It's called Divided Hearts of America. 
It was done by Ben Watson, former uh, football player. Really good. Hard to see. Hard to see. It just broke our heart to see this. And our head is we're full of water and our eyes are fountain of tears. And, and that I might weep day and night for the slain daughter of my people. And Jeremiah was crying for Israel. And we cry for, for sadness of those people that are far from God and doing ungodly things. And I think most of the people that are having abortions are doing it out of desperation. I don't think most people are, are wickedly doing it. I think most people, just that's the only option they think they have. But they have better options. But this world is full of tears and crying. In Psalm 30, verse 5, it says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. This is what we're talking about. The joy of heaven with there's no death, no sorrow, no tears, no pain, no crying. It's going to be an absolutely great day. No more pain. You remember that man that went to the doctor? And he pointed to his little finger and the doctor said, oh, is that what hurts? He goes, no, that's the only part of my body that doesn't hurt. You ever feel like that, man? The only part of your body doesn't feel is your little finger? If you don't feel that way, you will. You know, it comes. It's crazy. But all that's gone. Some of you have gone through pain unimaginable. Emotional, physical pain. You're in it right now. I know some of you have debilitating pain and it's horrible. But all that goes away one day. This is a promise of God. So look up and long for that city of God. It's been sad because in these last months, over a thousand people have died in the United States every day that have been attributed in some way to COVID. But you know what? During that same month, we had 1,600 people die from cancer. And a little more than that die from heart disease. Did you know that 56 million people in the world die every year? 56 million people. That means while I've been preaching this sermon, 4,000 people in this world have died since I started this sermon. You say, if you don't finish it, we're all going to be dead. That's actually true. (laughs) Death is going to come to an end. It's going to be a glorious day. Revelation 21, verse 5, and he sat upon the throne and said, He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Oh, that'll be great. And he said unto me, Write these words are faithful and true. Oh, I love truth. We all love truth. We all love someone that is faithful, someone that does what he or she says. We love that. We hate someone that doesn't honor their word. But God honors his word because his word is truth. And he is going to be faithful to keep that. You know what that means? That means that there's going to be a day when the earth is going to be dissolved and God will remake it into something back to the way it should have been, the way it was. And then there's going to be a heaven coming to earth and on this planet, a city built for those that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. A city that you will always be able to come back to. A city that will be your eternal home. You will not be bored. You will be so excited every day to get up and do what God has for you to do today. He's faithful. He's true. And then it says, he said unto me, it is done. You remember Jesus saying on the cross, it is finished? Because he said it is finished, where sin was put down and death was conquered, so can he say it is done. Here in Revelation, near the end of the Bible, it is done. I am Alpha Omega. Remember that earlier in our study? 
We found out that Jesus is the Alpha Omega. What is that? That's the beginning and the end of the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning and he's the end. He's not the beginning and the end in, in the sense of the first and the point of time, but he is the beginning because he is the source. He is the origination of all things. It says in Colossians 1.16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, invisible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. He is the originator. He is the one that all things come from. He's the source. And then he's, he's not the end in the sense that he's the, the end uh, point of time, but he's the consummation of all things. In, in uh, Revelation, it says, for him, of him and through him and to him are all things glory forever. The Alpha and the Omega. You serve a God who is the source of all things and the consummation of all things. And then we come to the last part of our study today in Revelation 21. The end of verse 6 says some absolutely incredible words. If you're thirsty today, you're in luck. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. Are you a thirsty today? You know, if, if you went without water for a day, you'd be really thirsty. We can't live very long without water. Every day we have to drink water or we'll die. We'll literally die. You're not thirsty for water. You're not thirsty for, for liquid. You're thirsty for, for God. The whole world is thirsty for God. They can put it off. They can let things that are in their life interrupt their, their longing for God, but there's still that longing for God. No, no matter what you do, you're still going to have that thirst for God. Nothing will satisfy it except for the, the living water. And you're in luck because Jesus said that he is willing to give this living water to anybody that's thirsty. That's what I'm trying to say is there's hope. Whatever that has been in your life, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. There's a living water. If you drink of that water, you will never thirst again. Today, Jewish people are celebrating Rosh Hashanah. It will end tonight at sunset. It is the, the new year for Israel, for Jewish people. It literally means the head of the year. It is also called the Feast of Trumpets. And I can't help but to think of the verse in Joel. In Joel 2.1, it says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. There's Zion again. Mount Zion, the place of mercy, the place of grace. If you want to live in Mount Zion, the place of mercy, you must receive forgiveness from your sins by God who created you and we rebelled and, and he paid for your sins on the cross and you trust in him. It's not about going to church. It's not about being religious. We are going to church because we want to learn more about our great God and how he wants us to live. We don't go to church to be saved. We go to church to, to worship our Savior. So if you want to live forever in Mount Zion, when this trumpet sounds, sound an alarm in my holy mountain, you need to be forgiven from breaking the laws on Mount Sinai. We've all sinned. Everyone's a sinner. Have you ever lied? You ever cheated? You ever hated? You ever disobeyed? We all have. We're all guilty. You might not have murdered someone, but maybe you've had hatred in your heart. Jesus said it's the same thing. It's equated to murder. In other words, you, you would have if you could have. If you could have gotten away from it, you would have done it. We're all sinners. So to be saved and, and to be in this Mount Zion, we have to first be forgiven for breaking the law at Mount Sinai. And that's why Jesus came. He came actually 
to the same place, Mount Moriah. He came to die at the very place that probably the center of the world is, the Garden of Eden, the same place that Abraham offered Isaac. He died there on a cross, the creator for our sins, and rose again. But there's this trumpet in Zion, this alarm in my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord. The end times cometh, for it is nigh at hand. My friends, it's closer today than in the day of Joel, for sure. The feast of Rosh Hashanah, the feast of trumpets. And then there's Yom Kippur, of course, the holiest day, the day of atonement in Israel. And then these are the high holy days coming up. And then in two weeks, we have uh, the feast of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, in John seven thirty seven, it says that this was the last day of the great feast. This was the Feast of Tabernacles, which is coming up in, in a couple weeks. One of the things that they would do in the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, would go down to the Pool of Siloam, which was maybe, I'd say maybe four or five blocks down south from the temple in, in Jerusalem. They would get water and bring it back up and pour it onto the altar in the temple. Jesus stood in the temple. I think as they were pouring out that water in this last day of this festival of Sukkot, and he said these words, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. That's the promise of revelation. That's the promise of God. That's what God wants for you. He wants to save you from your sins. He wants to make you a new creature. He wants to, to, to help you get rid of all those old things that were holding you back from fulfilling your purpose and design for life. And he wants to have you with him forever and ever and ever in a beautiful place, a place where he dwells. Are you thirsty? Isaiah 12 says, in that day, these are prophetic words, in that day, thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, Though thou wast angry, Mount Sinai, with me thine anger is turned away, Mount Zion, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He is also my salvation. And this is, this is the best part. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Wow. All of these things are going to come to pass. Just as I'm standing here today, it will happen. And you have a choice. Many of you are standing under the judgment of God. You've never been to Mount Zion. You'll never be at Mount Zion. You say, I can, I can earn my eternal life, or I don't need it. I'm good enough. No, we all need it. We're all sinners. Jesus, the Son of God, died for your sins and rose again. And if you'll just trust in him, the Bible says you will be saved. You're drinking of Jesus. You're drinking of that living water. And once you do that, he told that woman at the well, you will never thirst again. Be saved from hell to heaven by simple faith in Jesus Christ.